at Los Angeles 2023. Oh, welcome to Out on the Lanai, the only Golden Girls podcast you're ever going to need to listen to. I am Sadie Pines slash H. Allen Scott. And I'm Carrie Doherty, no slash. No slash, but maybe someday. And this is a podcast where we used to watch an episode of the Golden Girls and then talk about it, but guess what? We ran out of those episodes. And then we watched the Golden Palace, but we ran out of those episodes too. So now, now what do we do? Well, we kind of do the same thing. We watch old episodes and we talk about it, but we're also doing whatever the hell we want in whatever order we want. That's right. Today we are doing another Golden Rewind where we go back and rewatch our favorite episodes of the Golden Girls and re-talk about them and offer new insights since we first started breaking down these episodes back in 2014 and continuing with our June Pride Month celebration. Uh This week we're rewatching Season 5, Episode 19, 72 Hours, which is the iconic and impactful episode that highlighted some of the stigma and misconceptions around the HIV-AIDS epidemic during that time. What an iconic episode. And if you guys remember, you can go back and listen to this episode, but we had the writer of this episode on, Tracy, who he, he talked about how this episode was inspired by something that happened to his mother. It was inspired by a lot of things, but the storyline was something that was inspired by, I think it was his mother, right? Yes, I believe it was Tracy's mother who she'd had a blood transfusion and she got a letter like this in the mail and that kind of spawned uh, the episode. And we will link to our interview with Tracy um, in the uh, show notes if you guys want to go back and listen to it. That's such a great idea. But yeah, it's such... An iconic episode. Now, before we get into any Pride things, I have to just say, because something that Carrie and I were just talking about, but it reminded me of a previous episode of the Golden Girls. So I threw my back out this weekend, which is like the ultimate signifier of, wow, you're old and falling apart. Um, But... I, it reminded me of the episode where Blanche throws her back out when Michael comes to visit. Remember that whole episode? Michael came to visit Dorothy, whatever. Yeah. But Blanche threw her back out because she was someone was making eyes with her in the in a workout class or something, and she decided to just spread her legs completely. That is not how I threw my back out, which I hate to admit that. It's not. I probably threw my back out like tying my shoes. Which is, or moving wicker furniture. That that too. That too. Yes. So I'm I'm in I'm I'm feeling Blanche and Sophia's pain quite literally right now. It hurts. Yeah. Which is yeah, why I, when when we play audio clips, I might be going, oh. <laughs> so when you hear the groans. Yeah. When you hear the groans, they're not the fun Blanche groans. Let me just tell you that right now. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. But yeah, it's Pride Month. How's your Pride Month going? Oh my gosh. I enjoy Pride Month. I feel like I kind of miss living in West Hollywood a little bit because that was kind of, that's LA's epicenter Mm -hmm. um, of Pride Month. And I'm a little bit further West now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's, it's not as pridey. It's as pridey, but it's not like as pridey. You know what I mean? You're not like walking Um, down the street here in the bells and stuff or going to your local target, which was the, you know, the West Hollywood target. And like seeing all the displays and all the things and everything like it's it's a it's a different kind of pride for you now. Yeah. Like, you know, I miss like having like a go-go dancer be like, do you need help with that bag in your car? (laughs) You know, I miss those things. (laughs) I do too, actually. And you know where you're going to be able to see a go-go dancer at our live show. That's it's September 24th. It's happening. We're so excited here in Los Angeles. I won't explain the go-go dancer part. You'll have to come to the show and find out what's happening with that. But you can, if you, now tickets are not on sale yet, but you can get advanced sort of notice when tickets do go on sale by going to outonthelanai.com slash live and filling out the form and you will be emailed and maybe even have an opportunity to get tickets in advance. Be very exclusive. Be a GG live show VIP, if you will. I love that. I love getting things early. It's it just it makes me feel special. Doesn't it? I love it. It and really sh- does. I'm so I mean, I've been thinking about so many crazy ideas that we're doing for the live show and communicating with our very special guests, which will be announced when we announce it. And it is just it's going to be such a fun show. I mean, are you ready for the looks, Carrie? Because there's going to be a lot of looks. I'm just I'm here. I am a vessel 
and you and Michael just do your work and you tell me what to wear and where to stand. <laughs> and I am just, I'm your paper doll. Oh, I'm, I'm here for all of it. It's going to be so much fun. But before we do that, we did find a video, a clip, because uh, all month long we are celebrating and watching Pride and queer-themed episodes. But I have been sort of diving deep into all of the moments in queer history that the girls have been sort of, like, involved in. You know what I mean? All the all the interviews they've given where they've talked. Because literally, like, like Rue McClanahan, when she published her book, the her, biogra- her autobiography, she had her book launch party in New York City at Barracuda, one of New York City's, like, most famous gay bars. So, like... These women loved homosexuals, and I have been diving deep into YouTube, finding all the moments and all the things that have been happening around sort of like queer-related things that they've talked about, the Golden Girls. And I found one video from a conversation that Rue and Betty and a bunch of other people on the team, I mean, there was, I mean, everyone was in that video, right? From the creative team. Like, um, Yeah, I saw Mitchell Hurwitz. I saw Susan Harris. Yeah. I saw um, Mark Cherry. Um, I'm trying to remember who else was on. But yeah, there were some writers and producers. <laughs> I'm sure like Tony Thomas and Paul uh, Jungerwit were also yeah. there. I mean, it was such a, such a lineup at the Paley Center. They had this conversation in 2006. And the person asking the question, Carrie and I, I've texted them to try to figure out if this is the person that we think asking the question. Carrie thinks it's Jim Colucci. I am not so sure. So, Jim, if you're listening, I might hear back from them before this episode is over, in which case I will update everybody. I don't think it is Jim, but maybe it is Jim. I think it's Jim. And I I think I'm really good at identifying people's voices. And I think it's I think it's Jim. Although I was wrong. I got to tell you, for anybody else, there is a Panera commercial (laughs) airing on Hulu right now. I swear to God, it is Elliot Glazer's voice. It's that one where it's bread doesn't go bad after a day. And I texted <laughs> Elliot and I said, Elliot, is this you? The way the person says Panera is Elliot Glazer. And Elliot was like, holy shit, that's not me, but that sounds just like me. And I think this is, I think it's AI. And I think this is where AI is going. It's coming for our jobs. Interesting. Wow. I <laughs> anyway, haven't even seen that. I'm I mean, convinced I, it's Elliot. I have it's not AI seen Elliot. That is, that is actually wild. So yeah, I'm not convinced that this is Jim asking the questions. But this clip you'll hear is possibly Jim asking the questions. But then it's Rue, um, Mark Cherry, and Betty White answering about the gay fandom. So it's it's a pretty long clip, but we're going to play it. And Not a long clip. It's like three minutes. But still, it, you'll lo- every, you'll love every second of it. Hi. From the beginning, from the show's beginning, one of its most vocal and fervent groups of fans was the gay community. And part of the reason, I think, might be because the show was so courageous in depicting gay characters at an early time in the 80s. Dorothy had a lesbian friend in the first season who developed a crush on Rose. Blanche had a gay brother. Do you think this is the reason why the gay community embraced the show so much? And how did you keep this in mind when you were creating episodes of that theme? I asked the fella a gay young man in Greenwich Village uh, several years ago. I live in New York now. And I said, tell me something. What is it that you gay guys like so much (laughs) about Blanche? And he said, are you kidding? We all want to be her. (laughs) I hadn't thought about that. The most, the most astonishing thing for me as, as a gay man is that I, when I saw the show, I just assumed it was going to be just the biggest old group of gay guys writing the show. <laughs> and I remember my first day on that writing staff, I was so horrified because we, my writing partner and I were the only gay people in the show. And the very first day, around lunchtime, everyone talked about their favorite boxing ma- matches. And I was so depressed because I thought, it, the, these people can't be doing this. And what... what was fascinating about the show is that they would write this dialogue, and it's funny, you know, we had a joke about, the, you know, the women made the filthiest jokes, and the joke was that we would put the stage direction, and then they laugh like men. Um, <laughs> because it was like, they were having Lovely. conversations that we hope, you know, our, our grandmothers aren't having. But the, fa- the fascinating thing is, you would just write what was a really great joke, and you put it in B. Arthur's mouth, and it comes out gay. Yep. I don't know how it happened. And, and for me, and I, I think for me, writing what it was is that anytime you have, you know, gay men just appreciate women of a certain age. Yeah. 
you know? Also, I think, I think it, gay men like old ladies, for, uh, for some, I don't know why, but they, they do. But it, what was fun was that on Saturday night, the, the gay bars would stop the music, and at 9 o'clock, the show would come on. They'd all watch the show, and then right. 9.30, they'd turn it off, and then start the dancing. Yep. <laughs> we felt very honored about that. That was lovely. So good. I mean, I... I, for a lot of reasons, I don't think I'd want to be like a adult gay man between 1985 and in the early 90s. I don't feel like that was probably the best period to be uh, an adult gay man. But I would have loved to have been in a gay bar between 1985 and 1992 just to see the bar shut down at nine o'clock on what Saturday night just to yeah. watch the mm-hmm. Golden Girls. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah. I mean, it totally adds up. It makes sense. Yeah. I I personally, I find that at least I don't really go to bars anymore. But when I did, I sometimes you just need a break. You're talking to people all night. Sometimes it can be loud. And you know what? How great is it that you, for 23 minutes, well, I guess 30 minutes with commercials, you can just sit and enjoy your drink and just have a break from talking to people so you can watch an episode of The Golden Girls. Like, that sounds like pretty fucking awesome. I mean, and it's also the things that, I mean, one of the things that Mark brought up, which we also talked about with um, Stan Zimmerman when he did the podcast as well, which we'll have him on again someday very soon. But the surprising reality that, you know, we see this show, and sure, it was created by an iconic female writer and, and show creator who is a legend within TV history, and it stars four incredible icons of TV history. But for the large part, with the exception of a few other, you know, women here and there, it was very much straight male-dominated when it came to the writing staff. And with Stan and his writing partner in the first season being, I think, the only, Stan saying that they were the only queer writers on the show, mm-hmm. that, that were out at least. And then years later, Mark Cherry on his writing partner also being the only queer writers. And it for a show that is so iconic within queer history, it's ironic that like so many, so many of the jokes and the content and like the things and the stories are coming from straight dudes, which leads me to hope that maybe we all have more in common than we thought. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, I I do think that Susan Harris developed some really, really great characters. Mm -hmm. um, And that was, you know, certainly helpful. And, and yeah, maybe some of them just pulled from, you know, like with this episode, for example, Tracy pulled a story that had happened to his own mother, because yeah. I think they were also a lot of the writers were fairly young. I think Stan was like 19, 20, 21 when he wrote on the show. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I think they were pulling from those experiences and also just having kind of Susan Harris at the helm. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, I mean, it's yeah, it is. It is pretty wild. Um, and it also, also. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say um, about this particular episode, um, I went back in uh, in Jim Colucci's book, Speaking Of, which as we listened to that clip again, I was like, maybe it's not Jim. I'm on the <laughs> fence now. Um, just listening to it. Yeah. But so what he uh, had quoted uh, Betty as, as saying about 72 hours episode, um, she said, uh, not only were people understandably afraid of AIDS, but a lot of people wouldn't even admit it existed. So this was a daring episode to do, and the writers went straight for it. It's interesting that they picked Rose for that situation. Blanche was such a busy lady, but if it had been her story, it would have taken on a whole other color. But with Rose being Miss Not Always With It, it came as a real surprise. Which I think, you know... Rose is used, I think, in a lot of situations to tell deeper stories and to tell darker stories and to give some weight to probably more nuanced stories because it's it's sort of that old trope of like, you know, there's this great film called The Bicycle Thief. It's like an old Italian film, but literally it's all about seeing this seeing this dad's struggles through the little boy's eyes because there's something so pure about how a kid responds to problems and adult things and all these things. And it's the same thing with Rose. It's like she is so pure and genuine and I wouldn't necessarily say naive, but she's genuine in her responses. There's no, there's no filter in terms of like her thinking, Oh, if I say this, people are going to think I'm dumb because she doesn't have that filter. So she just says it. And when you put someone like that 
in a situation where they have to deal with something very serious, how does that person respond then? And it brings out probably the most like, uh, uh, most, I wouldn't say authentic, but the most literal storytelling. It brings out the most literal responses in how one would respond, which is why I loved in this episode that Rose's character was like, you're the slut. Why am I getting it? Because I think a lot of people probably wouldn't say that out loud, but right. Rose does, you know? It's, it's the mm-hmm. same thing with a mean character too. Like, why do we love Ursula in The Little Mermaid? Because she's she's bold enough to say and do all of these crazy, horrible huge things. Why do we love drag queens? Because they're they're bold enough to say all and put on all the crazy things and be the spectacle in the room. Like we love those people because they keep the story going. Right. You know, it's it's yeah. so and you see it with the drug episode, you see it with, you know, the episode where she might she's losing her pension, which is a real reality for a lot of older Americans. Mm-hmm. You see it with in the episode where she's having her birthday in the Valentine's Day episode and she has to cut off that the piece of cake for, you know, I get the rose moment. It's something you wouldn't expect to see Rose do because it's so serious, but yet mm-hmm. she does it so well. I know. I, <sighs> I feel like we we do have a lot to get into, so I wonder if we should take a little break. Oh, wait. If you need to put a little heat. What? Wait. Are we getting I a have, text? I have breaking news from <gasps> Jim Colucci and Frank DeCaro. Before we even get to it, it was, in fact, Mr. Jim Colucci asking that question. It was? Yes, I'm so glad we got that within the span of us doing the first segment. Oh my God, wow. I love us. Oh, <laughs> it was Jim. Yes, yes. So please, we'll, we'll of course send the post the link to this, and we'll also post it on our Instagram and stuff too. But um, we'll post the link to the YouTube so you can watch the full clip. But yes, it is Jim Colucci asking the question. So please go buy his book because his book is filled with all of these fantastic things that this information, he's done it all. Clearly, he's the reporter on the scene. Every golden, everybody listening to this podcast has the book. But if you if you buy it for a friend, yeah, Jim Colucci on Golden Girls, you all know it's the Bible. It's the Bible. Uh, it is the Bible. Let's let's take a break, and then we're going to get into this episode. Fantastic. So before we get into the Rose story um, of this episode. This is obvious. This is the Dorothy Wetlands episode. Dorothy wants to save the wetlands. Yeah. She's doing like a fundraiser banquet. I feel like this story gets swept aside real quick by well, the aid story. Like the, like <laughs> the people in Miami who don't give a shit about the wetlands. I sort of feel like that's how everybody feels about this storyline. Yeah. And I thought it was not that we should we should not take the wetlands for granted. <laughs> There are ecosystems that are very delicate and we need to make sure that we're preserving things. But it was just very funny that Dorothy was so frustrated because nobody wanted to help her save the wetlands. And every time she came on the screen and talked about the wetlands, I was like, oh, that's right. I totally forgot about this story. I don't care. Literally, as as in the very end, when she has the moment with Rose out on the lanai plug, um, that... When she has that moment, she says something about the wetlands. I'm just like, still, we're still trying to make this story work. No, it literally, this is all a Rose episode. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, so it's Rose is getting the mail. Uh, She gets a letter from the hospital where she had gallbladder surgery four years ago. And during that time, she had a blood transfusion and she learns that the blood that she received may have been infected with donor blood that had HIV antibodies. Yeah. And right away, I mean, Rose is feeling panicked, anxious. Um, well, let me Dorothy, just, let me let me back sorry. up a little bit, just because yeah. I don't. I was listening a little bit to our episode. With, we talked about this with Tracy, and some of the things that I feel like we probably should have mentioned then, just to understand history a little bit. Yes, um, please. So this was like a very real thing. In now, it wasn't. It was starting in. I think the late, I forget what year in the late 80s, they of course did start testing all blood samples for HIV antibodies. But you have to keep in mind the 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 term HIV didn't even come about until like 86 or 87. Before that, it was just AIDS. All we knew it as was just AIDS. And before that, we just knew it as GRID, gay-related immune deficiency. So like there was... It was sort of like COVID in a way that we didn't know a lot and we were learning a lot in real time as the news was breaking. And that's a scary thing when people are dying and getting sick. And so there were situations where, and Ryan White is a, is a Ryan great White. case point mm-hmm. of someone who 
you know, a hemophiliac who got a, a, a blood um, infusion that was had HIV antibodies that then, of course, made him HIV positive. And then, of course, he later died of complications of AIDS. And and so it was a real thing. Now, it is incredibly, if 0% rare for that ever, ever to happen. And if it just, it is so incredibly rare for that ever to happen in the United States or any Western country. It is so, so, so rare that like this story, you know, this storyline is a little outdated in that, in that sense, but it's an important thing I think to keep in mind as you listen to this episode, because at the time Ryan White was on everyone's TV screens, the TV mm-hmm. movie, I think they made had just TV come movie. out mm-hmm. and it was a big, big, big deal in the news because this came out in 1990. So it was happening in the moment. Um, our, well, this might, mm, are gay men still not allowed to give blood? So donate there, blood? there is, they have lifted the rule that you, if, if someone, if, if someone, so it isn't, and so the terminology is if a man who has sex with a man, they cannot give blood, but they can't give blood if they've had sex within the last six months or something, there's some like time period, I think in which they put, they changed the rule now so that before that it was, if you've had a, if a man who's had sex with a man since 1985, they could not donate blood. They could, that, that blood would be discarded, but now it's been changed to, if you haven't in the past couple of months or something. Kind of that still up. seems stupid. Yeah, I agree. It is stupid, and it is it is, and I'm not that there. There could be something with something that I don't know about that, but that's what okay. I've read about it. So mm-hmm. please, please, you know, uh, don't take me at my word on that. Look into it yourself. Do some research, but and let me know, please. But that's what I. That's my understanding of it now. Okay. Until I learn more in this moment, I'm going to say it still seems stupid. Well, and then maybe also, and then I'll learn more. Let's just be real. A lot of ways in which the medical infrastructure in this country deals with marginalized people. I'm not just talking queer people. I'm talking women. I'm talking people of color. I'm talking poor people. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of fucked up things that happen in this country. If you are not a rich white person who is straight, Mm -hmm. like that in terms of medical care. So like, yeah, let's all be acknowledging that too. Oi. Okay. (laughs) Back on it. So here's what I love about this episode is that Blanche and Dorothy are such a strong support system for Rose in this episode. She's feeling anxious, panicked. They jump in right away and they're like, we're going to make the appointment. We're going to get you tested. Everything is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And I just really appreciated them being such a strong, you know, support system for her. It just, it just goes to show once again, like how amazing this show was and talking about female friendships. Well, and also, Um, I mean, another thing with that is because this isn't necessarily directly a queer themed episode. We should acknowledge that because anyone can become HIV positive. We know it impacts people of color and queer people and very much and, and lower income people more than any other group in this country. But it isn't exclusively queer. So why this is why to me this is a pride episode is because of the way the women respond to Rose. Because these girls, they're they're not family by blood. They're a mate, they're they're there's they're a non-nuclear family and they've come together in an untraditional way to make a family, which is what a lot of queer people, especially in the 1980s and early 90s, had to do. And queer people rallying around friends when they might be HIV positive or there's a scare involved there these things would very much happen. So like the way Dorothy and Blanche are responding to Rose is I think very much in line with how a lot of queer people probably could relate to other situations they had in the 1980s with their friends and their family. So it's, it it is a queer episode in a lot of different ways. Right. And I think like, you know, uh, answering some questions and some misconceptions that people had, you mm-hmm. know, potentially at the time. I think it was also from an educational standpoint, um, pretty but still funny, still very funny, and still so very funny. Yeah, just so much, so much heart, so much humor. Um, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, and and like I said, Rose is she is panicking. 
She's worried that if the test comes back positive, nobody will want to be around her. And the girls are like, look, that's not true. You don't even have to tell Miles right now. Like there's, let's just get through these next couple of days and we'll yeah. kind of go from there, which, you know, I, Stan and I are very different. Stan's the kind of person who, you know, will look a year ahead into the future. And, and I'm like, no, no, it's sort of the one moment at a time thing. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like they were balancing each other out really well. But the idea of waiting way. three days for results. I mean- I remember when I had my the whole cancer situation and I had to wait those few days. And it is like, it is, it's just excruciating. It's just yeah. one of those things that you just start, your head just starts spinning. I can't, I mean, now thank God we have rapid tests and we have things that people will be able to mm-hmm. know their their status pretty very quickly and get the counseling they need. But my God, three days back then, wow. I had a... When little Oreo, so for those of you who maybe like follow me on Instagram and maybe you've seen it, you know, little Oreo, when she was born, she had a very traumatic birth. She was in the NICU for almost a month. They were trying to figure out what was going on with her. It was a bad running month. Running tests. It was a bad month. Bad month. Yeah. And there was a moment where um, they were trying to figure out what was going on with her and they kind of laid out some different scenarios and she needed to have an MRI. And, and I felt so much like Dorothy in the sick and tired mm-hmm. episode where, you know, we were trying to figure out what was wrong with her and like, what, what, what are we going to have to do from here for her, like developmentally going forward? And, and I remember the doctors going, so yeah, you know, yeah, she has to have an MRI, but you know, it is the 4th of July weekend mm. and a lot of people are on vacation. So, you know, they don't have anybody that can do the test. So we're going to have to wait like five more days yeah. because of 4th of July weekend and everybody had their vacations, which I understand. People go on vacation. Absolutely. Yeah. But I was like, you don't have a person. You don't have a person, one person who's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to come in and work the 4th of July and then I'll take my vacation the next week. Or I I, I was just so angry yeah. that we had to wait this extra time to find out what was going on and then you get the test and then you have to wait and then the doctor comes over and it's like yeah. it really is it was the most i always say about her birth it's like a really confusing and complicated emotion to deal with when the best day of your life is also the worst day of your life yeah you know what i oh, mean no totally i mean i was i remember when you were going through that and i was talking to my mom a lot because my brother has cerebral palsy and so there was a mm-hmm. lot of early related problems around the birth. I mean, there was a year. I mean, it's it's gone on his entire life. But mm-hmm. like that first year was very, very traumatic for my mother. And yeah. she was being really, um, I think, healthy in terms of sort of just being like, it is traumatic. This is traumatic. Of course, you love your child. But also, it's so traumatic to go through something like that and not and to not have an advocate on your side. I mean, my mother was dealing with a with a husband who wasn't around much. So she was just screaming at doctors left and right and figuring out the legal matters of how things work and all of like all of the things that she had to do. And so it reminds me, this is, I know, I think at the last episode I brought this up, but I'm going to do it. Watch Terms of Endearment because there's an incredible scene where the mother is dealing with her daughter who is sick and they are not giving her daughter the shot for her pain because they're on their lunch break or something. And Shirley MacLaine goes crazy screaming, give my daughter the shot to the point where the nurse then says, I'll go right now. Like literally, that's what you have to do. And these nurses mm-hmm. and doctors do amazing work. Nurses in particular, they do incredible, incredible work. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you got to be your own screaming advocate for- You have to be your own advocate yeah. for yourself, for yeah. your family, for your child, Exactly. For your parents, you really, really do. Yeah. And you have to mm-hmm. put on a lot of different hats. You have to be a lawyer. You have to be a doctor. You have to be a nurse. You have to read up on things. Like you have to do all these different things because- they make it really difficult for us here and in the United States is what I'm talking about. And so um, it's it was a scary time. I, I remember that being a very, very scary time uh, mm, listening to your stories. Rose. Yes. She's the one going through a scary time. This is her like, scary I'm the one time. Taking a yeah. So. Um, so in this scene where, um, where Rose is telling, uh, you know, Rose is kind of dealing with everything going on, you know, what she's just learned, whatever. I want to play a moment because there is a joke at the end of this scene that I don't quite understand. So I actually wanted to play it to see if maybe you can help me figure this out. It's not just a test, Dorothy. I know just how you feel. 
I remember how nervous and scared and panicked I was when I went to that neurologist to have my memory tested. How did you handle it? Well, usually I add a cup of bleach. I don't get it. I don't get it. I mean, so, please, someone, please, on the Instagram post for this episode, tell us in the comments what this is about. Because what I don't, does this? What does that like, joke mean? Because she's like, it's not just a test, Dorothy, and. Like, I feel like the joke is supposed to be like, oh, haha, look, she has a bad memory. But then when Sophia says, usually I add a cup of bleach, it's like, add a cup of bleach to what? Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like it is something obvious to someone listening and they're probably like, ah! But so please DM us right please now because I don't us. know either. I don't get it. Literally when, when... And I, there was like a the laughter from the audience. Yeah, they didn't get it either. Genuine, or no. if it was like a <laughs> no, no, that laughter, that laughter was put in by the producers. Let's be real. I like I don't beaten. think, I don't think that they got it either. But yet, uh, you know, yeah, I, I don't. I, I'm like the 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 TV writer brain in me. It's and also the true crime fanatic in me is yeah. like crack that puzzle. What Harry? happened what to Sophia? What does that mean? Yeah. I, I can't, I can't, I can't quite put my finger on it, but if I could, I'd have to wash it. That's what Sophia says. Yes. Um, so, uh, so now the women are at the hospital and um, I also have to say uh, about this episode, it was really good at knowing what kind of educational messaging it wanted to get across and then mm -hmm. finding organic ways to work it into the story, like through the characters you know and their what attitudes else they and did? personalities. It's so, you're but, so right because so often these episodes, like we've talked about before, spiral into very special episode moments where yes. it becomes dramatic and not enough funny. And this episode is incredibly funny. There are some great funny moments in this episode. But I noticed in the shift, they allowed a lot of the funny to happen at the top of a scene. Like that you would lead in with the funny and it would end on the very serious music. Mm -hmm. So like, and usually they end on a punchline and stuff. So I think they just shifted the tone of how they wrote basically and mm -hmm. allowed people because the first thing you're going to remember is the funny joke, of course. And they start with that, which I think is so smart. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. They did kind of flip it. And like in, in the joke part, right. Is that it, it is, it's like, here's the jokey way our characters are dealing with it. And then here's the messaging yeah. underneath it. And so, you know, Rose is at the front desk. She's embarrassed to give her name. So they're like, mm -hmm. absolutely. You can give us a pseudonym to get your blood tested. So she of course loudly says Dorothy's Bornak, which is yeah. like, such a rose thing to do. And then later uh, in the scene when she's like, you know, fake names, this is all so scary. Blanche explains the reasoning behind it. Mm -hmm. She goes, you know, people who test positive have trouble getting insurance, jobs. Yeah. It's terrible. Um, and then we see it again. Uh, we see this sort of thing again a few minutes later when uh, Blanche pulls Rose aside. Mm -hmm. And I think we also actually have a clip for this moment as well. I want to get this over and go home. Rose, come here, honey. Come here, we need to talk. What, Blanche? Well, this is the kind of thing I tend to keep to myself, but I want you to know. I got tested, too, so I know what you're going through. Well, what did you do? Well, I just had the test, and then I had a nice long talk with myself about being with so many men. And now when I'm with a man, I know his complete history, and we take all the necessary precautions. I just wanted you to know I understand this is not an easy time. Thank you, Blanche. You know what I liked about what they did with that? They didn't they didn't make Blanche feel bad for being sexually positive in terms of yep. like, you know, about her sex life. They didn't say that she was going to stop having sex or stop sleeping with all these men. It was just that she was going to do it in a mindful way geared towards safety, which is, I think, the ultimate message you want. I mean, I think you, that we should be pushing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What I loved about it is like you said, you know, it's not often that we get a speech from Blanche about her sex life that, you know, doesn't involve a joke. Yeah. Um, but here it's great. It's, it's wonderful. And it's helping, I think, break the stigma that HIV and AIDS was a gay man's issue, mm -hmm. as well as the importance of protection, having open conversations with sexual partners about their history like all they're just peppering this just really important stuff mm -hmm. and they're getting it across like i said in such an organic way through these characters and it's so we're feeling a little bit more comfortable maybe with talking about it because we are allowed to laugh a little you know yeah definitely um, and also her voice is so husky in this episode oh my god did you notice that 
She has such, yes, she has a surprisingly, like, I feel like Rue McClanahan put on her serious voice and it just feels very like sultry, sexy for this episode. I don't know why, but I'm, I'm loving how husky it is. I feel like it's because a lot of things are kind of said, like in confidence. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something gonna, over here, Rose. Exactly. I love it. Right. So uh, Blanche accompanies Rose to get her blood test. Again, I love that the women, they never leave Rose alone. Yeah. They're they're with Rose throughout all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Dorothy and Sophia are hanging out in the waiting room. And again, more messaging. Dorothy is reading a pamphlet about AIDS and teenagers. And she's like, it's really discouraging that parents don't talk to their kids about sex. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so important. You think they could get past their embarrassment. Uh, which again, very smart messaging. Yeah. But here they flipped it where this it's the serious part. And then it actually ends with a joke, uh, which I know I'm so sorry with your back. You keep having to leave. Oh, it's over, fine. It's fine. It is a funny moment. Thank God I was one of those progressive parents. Uh, I was amazed at how you use those technical terms. You told me never to let a boy touch me. You know where. <laughs> and you spelled where. Maybe I used to be old-fashioned, but times have changed. So when I was at the pharmacy, I bought you some condoms. Your boyfriends are supposed to put them, you know, W-H-E-R-E. I like how in the last episode that we did of the podcast, we watched an episode where um, it started with Sophia watching a porn film, literally in the living room, out in the open, no privacy. And now she can't, say condoms or she can't say penis <laughs> that is true although i feel like with the porn she i think i feel like she thought she was going to be home alone for a while yeah, well yeah okay yeah you know yeah. like i don't know that she wanted <laughs> she was going to share that moment with her daughter can you imagine um, i mean that that threw me back to the days of like using the family computer for porn Whew. It it threw me back to the days of I used to say a hole instead of asshole, <laughs> and I remember one time my sister called me an a hole, and I told my mom I was like she called me an a hole. My mom was like she calls you an asshole, and I was like no she called me an a hole, and she was like oh well okay. I always thought butthole was cuter than asshole, but anyway go on. Butthole is yeah that's fun. Here we go. Um so Rose has had her blood drawn. Yes. Uh, And the doctor comes in and this is when she learns it's actually going to take 72 hours for her to get the test results back. And I was actually, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was actually reading that in the late 80s, testing typically took about two weeks. Yeah, I mean, there was a whole period because, I mean, again, it was a lot like COVID, except they didn't have, I mean, the... The, the difference between COVID and HIV AIDS research in the 80s was that the federal government was not putting any money towards right. anything with HIV AIDS on a level that was just like colossally poorly funded. And with COVID, there was a lot of money being thrown at COVID research and trying to advance the vaccine and everything. So like, of course, when everyone gets sick from something, which everyone can get sick from HIV, that the government threw a lot of money at it. But when it was only presumably queer people and basically drug users getting it, they were like, well, let's just throw a little bit at it. You know what I mean? Right. So so that's that's largely why a lot of that was the case. Yeah. I'm on I'm historian today. Look at me. You I'm are, well, that's I am, your thing. I, I'm the Golden Girls Doris Kearns Goodwin. <laughs> what? <laughs> She's a very famous historian. For anyone who oh. loves history, they're going to be like, Doris Kearns Goodwin. I just heard Joanna Kearns, like the mom <laughs> from Growing Pains. But anyway, also a director. Show me your smile. Oh, show oh, me, show your me your that smile. smile. Sorry. Mm, I like how we can just get in and out of things like that. We just <laughs> yeah. roll in and out of yeah. those TV theme songs. So Rose is, of course, upset. She's yeah. like, look, first you gave me that transfusion. Now you're telling me it's going to take three days to find out if I have something that will kill me. Oh, my God. The level of anger. Let me just tell Uh. you. Let me just tell you. I'm sorry. I have to go on another soapbox moment. When I had my cancer moment, I went to the doctor because I had a pain. And I was in Los Angeles, and I didn't really know a lot was going on. I was living in New York at the time, but I was in L.A. And I was scared, and I knew it wasn't like an STD thing because I had done nothing to really lead to anything like that. And... So I wasn't worried about that. But the doctor I went to, he was like the the doctor for all the homosexuals. Like every, like every single gay friend in L.A. was like, go to this guy, go to this guy. So I went to this guy. And this fucker kept insisting that it was an STD. 
basically because I am friends with all of the people, his clients that are in gay in LA, and he was convinced it was an STD. So I spent the days leading up to my diagnosis, well, until him recognizing that it was likely something very serious, and and thinking that maybe I had an STD, I would go around getting tested multiple times. Of course, they always were negative. And it was just so infuriating that he would just be like, yeah, you're a young gay dude. So clearly it's probably an STD and not something more serious. And I'm like, well, thank you for calling me young, but I don't think it's that. Like, I don't think it's that. I'm telling you, I don't think it's that. And he just wouldn't listen to it. And then when he called me and he basically had to eat crow, and he was like, you need to go see a urologist like right now, like the next day. And I was like, well, I'm working tomorrow. I can't. And he's like, no, you need to go first thing in the morning. And it was just like, why? where is this promptness three days ago when you thought I had an STD? You know, yeah. just so yeah. infuriating. And I, there are many great doctors, but like there's also a lot of discrimination when it comes to how people, how some in medical care treat certain types of people. And mm -hmm. that can be very frustrating. Yeah, that I mean, that was like you're you're sick and tired when yes. nobody was listening to you. Yes, and like just run a test, run a just test, run a fucking test, run a or test. maybe believe me, run a test. Or maybe, I'm going, hey, I I'm just I'm telling you that this isn't it. Like, and even if you don't run a test, just listen, just listen to me, listen to what I'm saying, be empathetic. Like that's what it's about. You don't have to put your notions on me. Sorry. Okay, but back to the episode. I no, that was a good. You can stay on that soapbox, Ugh. H. Allen Scott slash Sadie Pines, because like fuck that guy. Yeah, definitely. Um, I left a bad Yelp review. Good, good. <laughs> well, I, now that we're all fired up, this is basically the act moment, uh, act break moment in the episode because it ends with Rose saying, "How am I supposed to get through the next three days?" Which, of course, the answer is you get by with a little help from your friends. Yeah, but. Let's take a break mm -hmm. and then we'll come back with the second act of 72 hours. So the next morning, uh, Rose is in a surprisingly uh, chipper mood. Um, she says she couldn't sleep last night, so she drove to Alabama. And it uh, turns out at a truck stop in Tuscaloosa, there's an egg dish named after Blanche. <laughs> How are they made? Over easy. <laughs> so I have a feeling I did this last time um, we were we recorded this, but I did look at the distance between Miami and Tuscaloosa, and it is 790.8 miles, which means it would have taken Rose 12 and a half hours to drive there and then 12 and a half hours to drive back. So I mean, shit, that, that's killing a lot of those 72 hours. I, I feel like the... Somebody just wanted to say Tuscaloosa because yeah. that's a fun city name to say. And yeah. I know this because when I was unschooled, we, we Lainey's mom had to live in Altoona because we wanted to make a lot of jokes about tuna. And it was just Altoona it is. And it was nobody paid any attention <laughs> ah. on if what you could make a day trip there or not. It doesn't matter. It's just for people like me who go, well, actually, if you do do the math. That was driving that you sense. crazy, wasn't it? It was driving, it drives you me, it drives crazy. me crazy. Yeah. But I do think that Rose, you know, is sort of in that, I don't want to say denial phase in this moment. No, you're just trying to be, mood. you're trying to I be think preoccupied. She's, like she's trying to yeah. compartmentalize. You're I trying think. to do, I mean, again, going back to cancer stuff, but like, you, you do everything in those moments to like get away from the reality of what you're dealing with. I remember a friend of mine, I went to, I literally went to a chemo class where they teach you what it's like to go through chemo. And wow. my friend got locked in a stairwell and I thought, oh, this is this might help me miss this class. This is perfect. Let's just have this stair. Like you'll do anything to distract yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't tell you. I feel like we're just going to keep diving into our cancer NICU stories. I'm sorry. I'm, like, I'm no, sorry. No, 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 not in a bad way. I'm going to turn a light on. You're going to hear an old timey 80s click. Ready? Oh, I didn't hear a click at all. I didn't hear it <laughs> oh. at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one of those old pulse strings. No, no, I didn't hear that um, at all. Sorry. I'm no, sorry. it's. I, I think it's a good thing. I feel like anytime you can kind of, um, you know, especially with such serious subject matters, yeah. because, you know, so many people relate to 
um, the Golden Girls and and the storylines, you know, in 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 things that have happened in their own lives and emotions yeah. that they have felt and everything, and that's what helps us get through it. And I would watch so these I episodes like while I was in chemo. I was literally mm-hmm. like literally that I was watching this and The Sopranos. That's literally like very strange, two opposite different types of episodes. And yeah, Sex totally, in the City. kind of ends of the spectrum. I wanted to but... well because the days I wanted to murder, the days I wanted to laugh, and then I would watch Sex in the City for the days I felt horny. <laughs> oh my gosh when you write your autobiography someday i feel like i watched i think i was just watching trashy reality shows and um yeah just like trying to like let my body heal but um you need it you need it and that's what rose needed too she needed to go on this drive and god bless her for it i fully support it and then you can see what's really going on with Rose underneath because her attitude quickly shifts as we start to see how much it actually is taking a toll on her. Yeah. Um, we learn that Dorothy, again, for the Save the Wetlands mm-hmm. uh, banquet thingy, she hasn't received something from an actor on MASH for the celebrity auction part. And Rose gets really upset. And she's like, see, you ju- you can't trust people. And she yeah. gets really upset. And then Sophia does one of those, like, get a hold of yourself. But she slaps Dorothy yeah. and they just they for sure added a sound effect. Of course. Like, of, of course. course. Of course. Of course. Um, I do like that Sophia was wearing the dress from the guy on MASH, which is just like if you know, Ma- I I know only know MASH in a very tangential way, but I, I it's an incredible show. Um, but if you know the character that she's talking about, it's really funny to picture Sophia in one of the character's dresses because the character wore the dresses. It's, it's, it's a wild storyline. He wore the dresses in order to make his sergeant or whatever the person in charge is think that he was gay so that he could get out of the war. Oh, he was trying to get discharged. Yeah. Like, honorably or dishonorably. Yeah. Discharged. That was the joke. That was literally the joke. And that was his character. And it was, it, it's wild. It's wild. It's wild. That's funny. I I don't remember that storyline, but MASH is one of my dad's favorite shows. Um, So, uh, so Dorothy and Sophia are hanging out. Okay. I have, I have a thing here. Okay. Okay. I'm going to say the thing and then I'm going to say the thing. Dorothy and Sophia are hanging out. Dorothy is Sophia reveals that she's been using Dorothy's bathroom because Rose was using hers. Yeah. And, you know, Dorothy's like, Ma, that's ignorant paranoia. And again, messaging. And then the joke, you know, hey, that's progress. Yesterday I was using the gas station down at the Shell station. Yeah. And Dorothy's like, look, it's attitudes like that that add to the panic mm-hmm. of this, which, again, it's like it's sort of spreading that misconception. Yeah. It's 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 the ignorance and of it using all. a character um, that we love to be the ignorant one. It's such good storytelling. Yeah, and they're they they are sort of playing it on a very fine line yeah. where Sophia very quickly goes like, I know, but yeah. you know what I mean? Where yeah. she's not it, it it's almost like Sophia's well, and it's sort also, of like it's also a very real thing. If you lead with empathy and because people are going to make mistakes, which is why I always tell like allies of the queer community, don't be afraid of asking a stupid question because the worst that could happen is you're wrong, and that then the best thing you can do is not be defensive, but stop and listen and take it in. And that's what's happening here. Sophia's being ignorant and Dorothy and Blanche are schooling her and she's not being defensive. She's listening and she's taking it in, which is what we mm-hmm. all should be doing. Yeah. And it's fun too, because again, like Sophia is usually the wise one. So I do like that, you know, we're sort of like subverting some of their yeah. stereotypes of the characters where, you know, well, because she's uh, playing all of the older Americans who are afraid to be around gay people because right. or get their hair cut by a gay man because he might be HIV positive in the hair salon or whatever the case may be that how regular people in the 1980s and early 90s in- encountered queer people. They were afraid to work with them. And Sophia is playing that older generation who probably never really knew they were around a lot of queer people, whereas Dorothy and Blanche come from a different generation where they knew a lot of queer people or at least right. a fair amount, you know? Yeah. I'm in Coco. Yeah. All Coco. Right. Coco. Coco. <laughs> Literally. Oh, RIP. So, okay. So just after this conversation, I realized in this conversation, in this episode of television, Dorothy mentions that she has a bathroom in her room. Yeah. 
Sophia also mentions that she has a bathroom in her room. Does everyone have a bathroom? We know from our past few rewatches, Rose has one in her room. And we can assume that because Blanche owns the house, that she would have one in her room. I don't think she does. And then they have that giant community bathroom where Rose and Dorothy installed the new toilet. Does the house on Richmond Street have five bathrooms? Well, and also they redid the garage, right? Didn't they add a toilet out there as well? No, I don't know if there's one in the garage. Whatever then. I mean, a house with that five bath. I mean, that's a lot. But then again, I live in a two-bedroom apartment and I have two bathrooms. Don't you have three? I have two and a half. Yeah, so you have three. <laughs> the half thing is not a thing. It's still, if you can go pee-pee poo-poo there, it's a bathroom. So well, you have three. Bath. You have three in a home with three bedrooms, right? One, no, it's a two-bedroom. One's an office, though. No, one's a baby room. Is no, that... we don't have an office. Oh, you don't. Okay, so yeah. So, two, so you have three bathrooms in a two-bedroom home. I think you're doing pretty well, girl. It's two and a half. It's three! <laughs> We have a loft. It's not a bedroom. It's a loft. We have a third floor loft. Is it considered a bedroom? Floors. Is it? Is it? Yeah, you have three floors. Is it considered a bedroom? No. Okay. No, it's a loft. Okay. <laughs> I'll just keep saying it's a loft. It's it's going to be Oreo's play area very soon. No, it's way too dangerous. Is it? Oh, it's a loft. <laughs> So if, I have a feeling my mom would let me play on a loft when I was a kid. Actually, I know that she did because we had like a weird like we're going in so many directions in this episode. It is insane. But we had an RV and there was like a lofted like over the driver's seat. You could like lay down on top of it like sure. one of the old school ones. And I would always like literally lay up there while my mom was driving. Yeah, I mean, RVs like you get you in know. a car accident. I'm going flying right out. Yeah, I feel like who in an RV when you're with your family, like whoever sits buckled up the whole time. It's true. It's no. True. So yeah, true. you're okay. That's fun. That's like a little like trundle bed situation. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have a clip that we should play we do. of uh, this next moment. Why is there an R on some of our coffee cups? Uh, R for regular blank ones are decaf. I don't believe you. Look, I know intellectually there's no way I can catch it. But now that it's so close to home, it's scary. Well, Sophia, I'm afraid you're just going to have to get over there. I'll try. I'll try. I'm usually not like this. I've been using your toothbrush for months. <laughs> Gross. Gross. I do, I do like that moment. I, I feel like the, the R mug moment is incredibly... Yeah. memorable and i feel like some of the misconception you know questions that people ask at the time well you know what if i drink out of the same yeah. cup or you know that sort Use of thing the same bathroom so, or yeah same bathroom yeah. exactly uh-huh yeah it is she great i mean and these last few scenes leading up to rose getting the test results they all kind of have the same tone they start funny and they and it's often involves sophia they start funny Something awkward, ignorance happens, and then it ends serious in a sweet, serious sort of way. Like in the next scene with the R cup. Yes. Do you yeah. remember when I I made you? Oh, an I R do. I have it. It's, all those it's, years ago. It's, I, if my back was better, I would get it, but it is right up there. I'm looking at it. That was so so long ago. We were babies. I know the handle got broken in the move, but it's still there. That's okay. My my mugs get broken all the time. That's yeah. why you always have so many of exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so the next morning, um, Rose is doing something I feel like is incredibly relatable, which is the sort of coulda, woulda, shoulda game. You yes. know, maybe if I did this thing differently, I could have avoided this. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely did that with, yeah. again, with like little Oreo where, again, I there's so many things that are out of our control. And I think that sometimes it's really hard for us to accept that. And yeah. we, we play that game where we go, well, maybe if I went back in time, if I did this, if I did this, something would have, you know, turned out differently. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was just really relating to Rose in that moment. The, the cycle of emotions that she goes through, um, yeah, we're just, I was just really, I think this time around watching this episode. Yeah, you feel um, it harder. I mean, you I start blaming like yourself. You really start empathizing. You start blaming yourself for a lot of things. I mean, I smoked for a long time and I had a lot of stress going up in my life until that moment I got diagnosed. And it was just sort of like, you start blaming yourself. But then after you go right. through it, you start realizing there are no answers, which is kind of 
in a weird way, the most freeing bit of it all that you, you realize some things can't be answered in the logistical, practical, rational way. And you have to accept that and be present and move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, But there is an exchange with Blanche that Rose has in this moment um, that is, I think, really important that uh, we should play. Why is this happening to me? I mean, this isn't supposed to happen to people like me. You must have gone to bed with hundreds of men. (laughs) All I had was one innocent operation. Hey, wait a minute. Are you saying this should be me and not you? No, no, I'm just saying that I am a good person. (laughs) Hell, I'm a goody two-shoes. AIDS is not a bad person's disease, Rose. It is not God punishing people for their sins. You're right, Blanche. Well, you're damn straight I'm right. So good. I do love that later in this scene when they, I think it was this scene where they talk about what Blanche did while she was waiting for her test Mm -hmm. results, that uh, she was like, and I was just a real bitch to everybody. And Rose is all like... Wow, we never would have known. Yeah, know? no wonder we didn't know. Yeah, yeah, which is like, again, a perfect end to a scene that is so important. Mm-hmm. I think like saying the words like AIDS is not a bad person's disease. Yeah. It's not God punishing them. I do think is really impactful. Like I said, yeah. they managed to cram so much smart messaging and education into yeah. this episode and this scene um, is compared to so- one on designing women quite a bit where uh, uh, Julia Sugarbaker, played by the incredible Dixie Carter, RIP, has takes down basically a bigot who is saying that the, the gay client that is HIV positive, that's part of the storyline in that episode, got it because of his lifestyle, got it because of who he is and what he's done. And, of course, Dixie Carter goes crazy on the woman. But the difference, and this is always tonally I think which is why I fall into the golden girls camp more than designing women a lot of times is because that scene became very serious it became there was no button of a joke there was no there was no out there was no out for the tension and I think fundamentally this is a comedy series and that's why I love the end of this episode when Rose says you know or we never would have known because it's just it releases that tension that you've been feeling so much and it's perfect Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It's so perfect. Um, you know, there's a great scene where the three women talk about how they're going to need to be there for Rose, no matter mm-hmm. what the results say, you know, because they're the only family she, ha- she has in Miami. And yeah. again, just the support system I'm absolutely loving. Sophia's like, um, give me that R cup. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so then there's a, a little exchange between Rose and Dorothy out on the Lanai plug. Um, but then back at the hospital, um, you know, Rose is there with the other three women. Again, they're always together waiting for the test results. Mm-hmm. And the doctor comes in. And and I love this callback. I guess it's not really a callback, but the fact that they, you know, strung this joke out to to the very end. But he tells her, he tells Rose, you know, Miss, Mrs. Spornak, your tests came back negative. You're totally fine. Mm-hmm. And Dorothy goes, oh, thank God. And Rose goes, well, that's great for you, Dorothy. But what about me? I think it's perfect. I mean, it was it's such so... a good callback to a funny moment. And it's just, it just shows how incredible Tracy and all the writers of this episode really were, you know? Yeah, it, it's so great. And and again, like another thing that I really like is, you know, he he like basically offers Rose counseling and she's like, no, no, I'm okay. And he's like, you know, some people still need counseling after mm-hmm. getting a negative result yeah. because it is still such a traumatic experience that yeah. you're going through. Yeah. Um, and, and also you know, counseling is great. And if you can get mm-hmm. and, and it should become it should be more affordable. And if you have access to it and can utilize it, I am I've been I've been in therapy since I've been a kid. So, like, trust me, counts. It's I mean, I think I've turned out OK. Not great. Oh, you're great. Uh, I wouldn't go great, but I would be like. You're a great friend. I would be like, fine. I'd be like, fine. I'm fine because of therapy. Yes. Sure. Well, as a friend, you're incredible. I'll say that. I can't speak to the other areas of your life. (laughs) Falling apart. (laughs) Um, 
So, so yeah, Rose has a really great support system. So she's going to be a okay. And like Sophia forgot to mail out the things about the wetlands. Yeah, of course. I mean, the the wetlands gets the last joke, which is, which is fitting because it had got so little screen time the rest of the episode. So yeah, give it, give it the button, give it the last joke. Why not? Yep. Yep. But Um, what an iconic episode of television. I mean, I'm just still blown away that it was 1990 and that they used it with these women and it was a Rose story. And there's just so many layers to why this episode speaks to why we should take pride in our friendships, take pride in the people who support us through difficult times because life, it, it happens. Difficult times happen. And it's sometimes you, the people you would never expect to be the ones who are there to help you and back you up. So like, I love that this is a Pride episode for us. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, should we take a break and come back with a golden takeaway for this very special episode? Yes, I think that we should. Let's do it. We are back with our golden takeaway, which, if you aren't already aware as a longtime listener of this podcast, is a nugget of truth or inspiration that you can apply to your life or the lives of our listeners. I, what I believe is the second week in a row, which is rare, am going to go first, although this feels very uncomfortable for me because this is not historically how it rolls. Um, Yeah, you usually throw it to me, and now you're having to... And now I'm having to do it, which I'm fine because, you know, I'm great on the spot. I, my golden takeaway from this episode is Blanche's kitten heels. I, one of the things that I, you know, I've watched this episode many times. It's a very serious episode with a very serious message. But there's something about the later seasons of Rue McClanahan that just hits for me in terms of her hair, her styling, and the way that she prances around in those little kitten heels, those little tiny flip-floppy mule kitten heels that just warms my heart. Because as someone who is larger, who has not grown up wearing heels, who has uh, mobility problems primarily with staying up straight and falling flat on her face. Um, I support a tiny kitten heel mule situation because it, it, it offers me stability while also making my feet look dainty. So I applaud Rue McClanahan's kitten heels in this episode and all the episodes to follow in the later seasons. Wow. I would not have guessed that that was going to be your golden takeaway um, from today. Uh, I think that's fantastic. There's a great shot of it. There's a great shot of it when she comes in with the R cup and she tells Sophia, well, Sophia, you're just going to have to get used to it or whatever she says. She crosses her legs on the chair when she sits on the arm of the chair and you'll get a great shot of her little kitten heel. It's a perfect little heel. Okay. Yeah. I will. I'll keep an eye out. I'm also going to keep an eye out for like that, like that, like gravelly voice. Yeah. 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 Um, my golden takeaway was going to be about the wetlands and now the, um, the link to the EPA's website <laughs> isn't working. So I'm just going to have to drop it in the show notes. The, the wetlands really are just getting so screwed over in this episode across the board. Um, I'll put it in the show notes, things that you can do to help protect the coastal wetlands. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to say that. Um, to just kind of go back to the support system mm-hmm. in this episode that Rose had that was so, so great. Um, I feel like when friends are going through something really hard and maybe you're like me and that you you go like, oh, I don't want to like overstep. I want to let them know I'm yeah. there if they need me, but I don't want to be pushy. Um, I will say, and I feel like I need to get better about this too, when Stan and I went through our, the thing that we went through with little Oreo and so many friends, so many friends reached out and said, let us know if we can do anything, let us know. And there was just a friend one day that dropped off a bag of mm. sweet treats and and groceries and, and like games and stuff. It just like left it at our front door. And I was like, yeah. oh, I really, I really appreciated that. And I feel like I wasn't going to ask a single friend yeah. for help because you're just, you're going through it. You're just going through shit and you're not even thinking about it and you appreciate all the support. Mm-hmm. But I realized, you know what? Sometimes maybe just drop a little something off or just yeah, because your friend may not be in a place where they can accept 
um, that kind of support, but maybe yeah. actually they do need it. So I'm just going to throw that out there as yeah. an idea, but to show each up, his or her own. Show up in the ways that you can show up knowing the person that you're trying to show up for. Exactly. You know, like, exactly. you know, it's just do what you can in the ways in which the people need it, which is the most important thing you can do. I, I support yeah. that. I love that. Yeah. Well, everyone, this has been another episode of Out on the Lanai, and we will catch you back here next week for more Pride-related and yes. themed Golden Girls greatness. We're watching Strange Bedfellows next week, which is very exciting. I can't wait to talk about that, although we're recording it tonight, so it's not going to feel next week is actually tonight for us. <laughs> this is how the sausage is made. <laughs> guys we are part of mom movies and media so go please support mom plus and all the fantastic podcasts on their network and you can also follow us at golden girls pod on twitter out on the lanai official on instagram on facebook golden girls pod and i am sadie pine slash h allen scott on everything and just we post a lot of like clips and stuff from the show and that's how we kind of promote episodes which we love doing so please if there's ever anything you want to see or you want to engage with us dm us on instagram or send us an email at out on the lanai podcast i think it is at gmail.com i'm pretty sure that's it um but yeah let us know or you can get contacts on the website too there's a contact page on the website as well yes somebody sends a really long email uh professing their love for one of us and it just goes to like some fellow named dan in arkansas who had out on the lanai podcast at gmail um and i am squizzy on instagram and squid eat squid on twitter and if you have a moment please Rate and review us wherever you get this podcast, because the more ratings we get, the more the show will get bumped up, the more people will discover it and join our lovely kick-ass community of Golden Girls fans. And guys, remember, or as always, remember. Remember, <laughs> stay golden. Stay golden. And watch Terms of Endearment.